Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I'm Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. You know, Reed, over the last year or so, we've had the fantastic opportunity to interview 23 different officers, and yet only six of those interviews covered career fields that are directly related to being involved in combat. In fact, the vast majority of Air Force officers never see combat, and I think that's something that we want to talk about, this idea of combat a warrior ethos and where the air force officer is on the spectrum of being a warrior and coming on the tail of last week's episode with major michelle willett where she talked about her experience as a developmental engineer and knowing that there are those in that career field who struggle with this idea of being an officer but not fulfilling the typical role of a warrior leader while serving in the military yeah, which is funny because I think we even talked about it, Michelle and I. She's like vehemently opposed to the idea that she's not a warrior. Right. Yet there are some within our service who would say that she isn't just because of the career field she's filling. So I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation, right? Like I don't even totally agree with your assessment that only six of those are combat related. Right. Like we're going to have this conversation about the spectrum because it's all a matter of perspective and we need to have this conversation. We absolutely. Yes, we need to have it. Well, we need to have it because there was a point where you were like, we don't even need to have this conversation. We are warriors. That was that's what you said to me. We don't need to talk about this. We are warriors. And I said, are we, though? <laughs> yeah. So full transparency for the audience. Colin brought this idea up and I'm like, OK, and. And as I sat down to, to start writing, I literally have in brackets, I'll be honest, I'm not exactly sure why we're here. This is a foregone conclusion. We are warriors. That's it. That's what I wrote at the top of the page. And then I like, over to you, Colin. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something that we need to have a discussion about is where it is that you're drawing that foregone conclusion, that period, uh, end of story idea that every airman, every Air Force officer is a warrior. And then... I can respond by saying, yes, but, you know? Yeah, because as members of the profession of arms, this is who we are, and we need to have a frank, open conversation to define it, because whether we like it or not, this is what we're involved in, and we need to find where we are, right, Colin? This is almost like a self-assessment a little bit, right? We talk about how important that is. We need to have that open conversation with ourselves and you need to have it with the folks you lead to be able to understand where we are on this spectrum so that we can get better at, at what we do. That's the bottom line. All right. So, so where is it that you want to start, Reed? Should we you know, define a couple of terms first? Yeah, I think we should define a couple terms and start there. It gives us a, a common 
framework to discuss this because it is a little bit more nuanced than I let off with my all airmen or warriors end of discussion, right? Like, I think there's some value into defining some of these words and discussing what the meaning of them is so that as we get into some of the more challenging concepts that we're all on the same page. So I'm going to start with what is a warrior? Merriam-Webster says one engaged or experienced in warfare. We could break that down, right? Engaged. Well, where's the line? Who's engaged in warfare? Who isn't? That's something we'll talk about today. What does experienced mean, right? Does an airman who graduates from basic training, the day they walk across the, the line with their flight, does that mean they're now experienced in warfare? Or the cadet who is in ROTC still in college, not yet on Title 10, but is in practice of developing the warrior ethos. At what point do they become that warrior? And you can you know, do that rubber stamp. Boom, there. You're now a warrior. Where does that happen? Yeah. So again, warrior, one engaged or experienced in warfare. There's also a more broad term. This is more commonly applied to all people of all sorts, a person engaged in a struggle or conflict. So this can be like a a target dad warrior, right? Like he's going shopping with the wife and he's ready for the conflict of which bed sheets should I buy or whatever conflict or struggle is happening in their lives. An ethos, which I think this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time today, Colin, is how the definition of this word modifies and puts into context the aspect of warrior and conflict. It's a distinguishing character, a sentiment, a moral nature, a guiding beliefs of a person, group, or institution. Yeah, ethos harkens back and is very similar to the, you know, the word ethics, which we all know is those principles, those things that you have set up in your life to guide your decisions and, and the, the way you choose to live, right? Yeah, exactly. And when we put them together, this idea of the warrior ethos, referencing a book by Stephen Pressfield called Warrior Ethos, is a code of conduct, a conception of right and wrong, of virtues and of vices. And that's specific to the warrior who is involved in the profession of making war. Because obviously, there are codes of conduct conceptions of right and wrong, virtues and vices that exist outside of war, but we need to cage our discussion into the profession of arms. Exactly. Exactly. So let's start talking about this idea of the professional, the warrior, and ethos, this idea of this moral nature. What are your thoughts, Colin? As we read through those definitions, as we started talking and laying these things out there, What were some things that started to come to mind as we start moving forward into this topic? Yeah, so we've talked at multiple instances over the last year about the importance of having a moral character, one as a requirement in order to get into the Air Force as an officer, that it's called out in Title 10 that thou shalt have good moral character. And I personally... You know, feel a struggle in trying to define exactly what that is. But I think if we put that moral character in terms of warrior ethos, it, it 
makes it a little bit easier for me to understand what that good moral character is. In fact, I'm not sure when it comes to being an Air Force officer that there is much of a difference between your moral character and your ethos as a warrior. I think that they are, in some cases, one and the same. I think that's interesting that you brought up that idea of moral character, because as we were going through those definitions, that's the exact same thing that came to my mind, is in the series where we talked about General Goldfein's memo to his wing commanders, where he outlined the things we care about for officers and the things we're going to evaluate you based on, right? We had four things, accomplishing the mission, leading airmen, managing resources, improving the unit, comma, all on a foundation of outstanding character. And I found it interesting that you would draw the same conclusion that it's like this cost of entry into what we do. And I think that's a tie that we should explore, this idea that moral character and warrior ethos, but uniquely applied to the profession of arms, is where we're going today, where we want to talk and spend our time. Yeah, I mean, clearly there are people out there who have good moral character far and above the the normal person, which is the expectation of members of the military, but they for whatever reason, those good and moral people choose to not serve in the military. And so their moral character is not a warrior ethos applied into in the, the profession of arms. And there's nothing wrong with that. We don't need every single person who's good and, and moral to serve in the military. If they want to see if it's right for them, great. We will provide a, a way for that to potentially happen. But for the person who wants to be in the military, and especially those who want to be an officer, I think that the warrior ethos that already exists inside of them, at least in part, is, even before they they get into the military, is indistinguishable from their moral character. That warrior ethos is already there, at least in embryo. Yeah. No, and I think that's a really good point. So what is it about the profession of arms that is that line you know what is it about the business that we do that makes it different from someone of normal moral character well if we want to take a look at what the what our authority is from a title 10 perspective we have the authority the warrant if you will to be involved in the business of destroying life and property and that requires that you have a certain level of morality and, and ethics already in place, whether you are involved by pulling the trigger yourself or just being part of what we call the kill chain. Yeah, and that's where I want to spend some time, right? Because even within the military, and we talked about this in the intro a little bit, there are people who feel less connected to the family business, if you will. I have felt that at times. I don't feel that much anymore, despite my, I sit at a computer and look at screens all day. I still feel very connected. And I think I want to explore why that is and where that line is. And I think it's when you decide to separate yourself and align yourself with the cast of those who have the authorities to take life and destroy property, mm-hmm. to act violently on behalf of the nation, that's when you step over the line and become a warrior. And that's something I want to talk about because 
I have never personally choked the life out of a human being. I have never done that. But I have absolutely directed combat effects that has resulted in the lives of hundreds, maybe even thousands of combatants disappearing. Absolutely. And I had to come to a righteousness about that. I had to be okay with my role in that. And I think that can be a real challenging thing if you don't have this foundational character. Because that took something out of me. We've uh, talked on this podcast before about how I struggled to come home from my deployment. How the extreme highs and extreme lows of that experience forever changed me as a person. And I was not in physical danger. Never been shot at. I've never been in a firefight. And I think too often we focus on that aspect and we make that what it means to be a warrior. Well, I haven't door kicked. I haven't. That kind of thing is what we say is being a warrior. But there are absolutely fights that we have to fight every day. And because of the nature of our business, it elevates it to a different plane. I have to wonder, though, if part of your experience in feeling that loss and the need to find that righteousness was because you were involved in the operation. And even though you weren't dropping the weapon itself, you weren't pulling the trigger, you watched as the effect of your decision played out. Whereas I wonder if you made the decision and then walked away and left the room and didn't get to see what happened, if you still would have had that same kind of reaction to it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that is a really interesting perspective. And we, we're not going to go into too much detail on that side of it today. Dave Grossman talks about this aspect of the separation between man's intent and his violent actions and the result. And that now, for the first time in human history, really post-1945 or so, logistics has closed the gap so much that man has not had time to process and to separate himself from the war. It used to be that war was always something over there. It was always somewhere else that you had to leave where you were, go fight the war, and then you would come back. And the transit to and from those two places were separated so much that you'd be able to process this experience, this almost unnatural thing of taking another human life. That is not happening now. You have people sitting in Connex boxes in Las Vegas, Nevada, who are killing lots of people all the time and then picking their kids up from soccer. Like, we're not going to explore that idea right now. But with modern communication, with Twitter and Facebook and all these other sources of instant news, if you will, I think everyone on the whole planet is more connected to the effects of war much more than we ever have been. So I'm not sure. I think that's a good point, Colin. I'm not sure if my connection, being able to watch as this all went down, impacted that. I think it might have, and I can't dismiss that. Yeah. And I, I bring it up because I was there too, involved in the same operation. You and I were, were deployed at the exact same time, but very close to it, right? And my responsibility at that same location was to 
build and maintain the the facilities and the airfield that enabled those jets to carry out the effects that you told them to do as the intelligence officer. As a civil engineer, that's my job is to build and maintain the, the facilities and the, and the infrastructure that enables the projection of air power. And so I am definitely part of that kill chain, that process of, of taking a human life or the destruction of property. But I never see the effects of the decisions that I make. Well, that's not true. I do see it in the news, but I don't get to watch it play out in real time because I'm not there in the operations center watching it unfold on the screen. Yeah, that's totally fair. Part of my job, depending on what I'm doing, is to look at a battle damage assessment, BDA, right? So we intended to have this effect. Let's say I want this building destroyed. Okay, I want it gone. Battle damage assessment is to look at intelligence gathered on this building and say, did we have the desired effect? Meaning it's the job to look at a smoking hole in the ground and decide, is this building no longer usable? Is it completely destroyed? Or it's no, now it's not functional, it's not destroyed, but it's functionally destroyed. So I do think that could have an impact on someone's perception of their connection to the war when they are looking at smoking holes and doing body counts and things like that. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. And so you can see on this spectrum where you fall, where I fall, and then take somebody like Major Willett that we just interviewed last week and put her and the whole developmental engineer acquisitions side of things, those officers on the complete other end where they are at the very beginning in the acquisition and the purchase of that equipment that enables the delivery of the weapon or the satellite that makes it so you can do that battle damage assessment. And so there, that whole other level removed from the effect of combat. And so that continues to beg the question, are those officers involved in acquisitions also warriors? And again, going back to what you were saying earlier, you unequivocally say, absolutely, yes, they are. Yes. Yes, I do. This is an easy line for me. And I think it's because I had to, as we've described, I had to come to a righteousness about what I was doing and I had to find out where I drew my line. I think everyone who wears the uniform of their nation is a warrior. So we've, we had the, the 9-11 episode that I did back in September. And I talked in that how I really wasn't sure what to do in that situation, but a really emotional experience for me. And it was for millions of Americans. I remember the president at the time, George Bush, standing at the World Trade Center in the rubble. There's smoke and dust. And someone in the audience said, we can't hear you. And he said, but I can hear you and they will hear all of us soon. He was reflecting a sentiment that the entire nation felt angry. They felt like they wanted to do something. They may have even felt violent, right? They wanted people to die for this. And I think a lot of people felt that way. So what is the difference between 
those Americans all over the country who wanted to take action, are they warriors? Do they have good moral compasses? Are they people of character? Sure. The difference is, and the line is, there is a group of people who have raised their right hand and said, I will go and do this thing. I will conduct violence on behalf of the nation. And the nation has said, okay, you're under Title 10. You have the authority, the warrant, as you described it, from the country to go conduct violence on behalf of the American people, the people who voted to put people in Congress and in positions of power to authorize the military to go conduct these things. I would not say that the death of enemy combatants is on the hands of the average soccer mom in middle town USA. But I would say that she voted for somebody who then voted for a war or not, right? Before this episode started, we started talking about how we're a war-going nation. We, We have been since the beginning. Go listen to Hamilton, right? It's right there. All sorts of war and conflict. It's who we are. So the line for me is when you say, I am going to go be a part of this. I am going to accept the responsibility and the authorities from the federal government to go and do this. That's where the line is for me. Everyone on the left side of that, they are good people. They may be patriots, but they are not warriors. Yeah, that's really good. And it's really important that anybody who is contemplating entering the service as an Air Force officer or someone who is already an officer, but wondering whether or not they are warriors, except that the groundwork has been laid for you to be the warrior. Now, I am not one who thinks that every airman, every person who is on Title 10 is a warrior, but I think that everybody should be. Yeah. And I'm excited to have this conversation. I think you brought up a good point here, and I'm really excited for us to flesh this idea out. Yeah, we've talked quite a bit up to this point about the external side of being a warrior, that we are all part of that kill chain, the the process of creating combat effects on behalf of our nation, either by dropping the bomb or uh, pulling the trigger itself or having various roles that enable that to happen. But I think that the warrior ethos is much larger than that. And the greatest part of being a warrior exists on what happens internally to you as an individual and, and the way that you lead other people around you. And where I'm going with this, again, from Stephen Pressfield, he talks about there being those warrior virtues that every warrior ascribes to a code that includes some form of courage, selflessness, love and loyalty to one's comrades, patience, self-command, and the willingness to endure adversity. That at a deeper level, the warrior ethos recognizes that each of us has enemies inside of us. And it's those enemies that we need to be attacking on a far more regular and consistent basis than the enemies outside in the form of foreign actors who would do harm to us. 
that we need to attack things like envy, greed, laziness, selfishness, the capacity and the willingness to lie, cheat, and do harm to other people who are also wearing this uniform or the American people who we serve. Those are the tenets of warrior ethos that we need to uh, have be part of us in order to not only defeat the the enemies that are outside and those external threats, but to destroy the enemies that live within us. Yeah, I absolutely love this idea. And before we started recording today, Colin, you and I discussed a quote from Dave Grossman's On Killing. And the reason I think this is really applicable is because, Colin, you're talking about, quote, soft things, right? The feels. And But what does that have to do with the family business. We kill people and break their stuff. Like that is not soft. Well, it is. And I'll connect it right here for you. So he says, a tremendous volume of research indicates that the primary factor that motivates a soldier to do the things that no sane man wants to do in combat, that is killing and dying, is not the force of self-preservation, but a powerful sense of accountability to his comrades on the battlefield. It's relationships. It's about how we interact with people. It's about the love of the man and woman to your right and left that allows you to do these things that, as he puts it, no sane man wants to do. Our will to live is incredibly high. To use a quote from one of my favorite movies, Life Finds a Way, right? This is from Jurassic Park. There's so many great one-liners in that. Hold on to your butts. I say that to my kids all the time. Anyway, so great movie, but we are in the business of doing things that are unnatural, that are, an, that are an affront to humanity. And we have to be deliberate, we have to be excellent, and we have to do this all the time. How can we square that corner? How can we do that as a human being? The way we do that is all the stuff you've been talking about, fighting these enemies within ourselves, because we're going to, by virtue of what we do, we have to open ourselves to the worst of mankind. We have to allow ourselves to, to go to a place that man should not go and do things that are unnatural. Uh, again, I've referenced this before, but J.K. Rowling was onto something when she said that the act of killing splits a soul. It does. It does. To anyone in our audience who is uncertain of that, let me tell you that it does. Yeah, that harkens back to your experience, like we were discussing earlier, of watching the effects of your decisions play out on the, the screen before you, that you lost a little bit of yourself and were uncertain of what was occurring when you had to return back home and walk away from conducting the war. There, there was a part of you that was missing and you had to figure out what had happened and how to return to a new way of operating, if not that return back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I really liked this concept, Colin, that you've connected for us today. This idea that as a result of our unique profession and the unique requirements of what we do, that a warrior ethos is so essential and must be developed and must be honed and must be improved. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, I love this quote from Colonel Lyman, who is a commander at Joint Base Charleston. He shared with us that gallantry on the battlefield is typically considered as the ultimate expression of the warrior ethos and is the thing that we celebrate most frequently, right? However, it's the moral courage that is central to the warrior ethos that is tested on the daily basis. It's not every day that we get to go and actually do the business of projecting air power. There are those who are involved in that daily, but the vast majority of us, that's not going to be the case. Rather, we are tested on the daily of whether or not we are going to have the self-discipline to maintain a difficult standard, pushing ourselves in the development of our physical fitness, cultivating our mental preparation through training and education, and then learning to make sure that any decisions that we make are done within a moral and ethical framework that fits within our warrant and the, the authority and training that we have been given. It's this warrior ethos that we develop as airmen, as Air Force officers, that enables us to attack the behaviors that are not consistent with what it is we need in order to project air power. Those behaviors that lead to sexual assault or drug use or illegal or self-destructive behavior, we as warriors need to intervene in any situation that devalues the individual, such as racism or discrimination. These are part of the warrior ethos that if you see those behaviors taking place, you are going to fight them with everything that you have. Yeah. And this isn't just internal to the military either. Colin, in our discipline episode that we gave around the 4th of July, we talked about how building trust with the public is essential and how good order and discipline is how we do that. This is also how we do this. Our warrior ethos and our daily fight against these attacks on character, these cultures of accepting things that we don't need in our force, those things also bring credibility or not to our military institution. I really liked Colonel Lyman's works. We'll put a link to his article in the show notes because it's a fantastic read. Yeah, definitely. We're, we'll share all of the, the sources that we are pulling some of this information from because it's important that you as members of our audience, those who want to become officers, those who are already serving, reignite that warrior ethos within you and be sure that you are establishing those principles of being a warrior in your life and applying it towards being a member of the profession of arms. Another one that I think is really useful here, this also comes from Dave Grossman, but in his book on combat. And here he's quoting a journalist named Justin Smith, who was writing about Audie Murphy, who is the most decorated soldier from World War II, writing about Audie's experience, not just in the war, but the life he lived when he returned home and became an actor and the choices he made at that point. Justin wrote that he began to learn that a warrior is not proven only in combat, but also in life. That the warrior lives by a code, not because codes are, quote, honorable or the fad, but because that is how a warrior thinks. And, and so that is also how the warrior lives. This is really important here, and I hope everybody listens to this. 
combat is an extension of that code, but not the source. Let me say that again. Being involved in combat operations and taking those effects to the enemy is an extension of the code. It is not the source itself. The source is what's within you. It's the, the way you have chosen to live your life, that you are not going to settle for substandard behaviors, but that you are going to raise yourself and also others around you to that higher standard of living in that you are going to be more selfless, more consistent, have more courage to demonstrate love and loyalty to the people around you, that you're going to be more patient, more self-aware, more in control of who you are as a person and not let outside things dictate that for you. This is such an important thing. It's hard to convey to those who haven't been involved in this fight to see this connection so beautifully laid out. This is so true. It's like speaking to parts of my soul that I don't really have good words to describe it. But this is why this stuff matters. And the connection between who we are and how we act, good order and discipline, combat is just the game, right? It's the actual game time. But all the things we do around that prepare us for that moment. And we've had this before, Colin, like when that time comes and it will you be prepared? right? It's too late on game day to go, oh, maybe I should practice a little bit and get some training. It's too late. It's too late. It's in your everyday life. It's in the way you interact with the people you serve. It's the way you interact with your family, the way you interact with society, right? The same way you treat people within the military should be the same way you treat people outside of it. Are you a good member of your community? Are you an upstanding person? Do you give back to the community that you're a part of? Those are all things wrapped up in this idea of warrior ethos. And it's just, this is so good. Combat is an extension of that code, not the source. It's good stuff, man. Yeah. And we're sharing this because we want everybody to recognize that as a member of the profession of arms, as an airman, as an Air Force officer, you have checked the boxes required for you to be a warrior, but being in the military does not necessarily make you a warrior. You have a framework wherein that warrior ethos can take root and blossom, but does not necessarily mean that it will. Yes, you have Title 10 authority and that makes you a warrior in some sense, but you have to be deliberate about this. The vast majority of officers are really good people, but you and I know some of them who do not live by the warrior code. And for that reason, I say that not every member of the Air Force, not every Air Force officer is a warrior, but they should be. That's where I'm coming at from this. Yep. And it's interesting that I'm the very sciencey. X equals, I'm the guy who needs to have a definition and a line and all that. And so it makes sense that I would come to the, well, therefore, yay, verily, yes, everyone is. But it shows that the more creative, the more humanities-based thinking that is Colin, right? Need we remind everyone that Colin has a degree in 
what is it, Colin? What's your working on your PhD in? Ethnochoreology. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but this is the beauty of where we are, Colin. Have, I have an engineering degree, Reed. I know you do, but you also have a dance PhD. So let's just call it what it is, <laughs> right? But that's the beauty of what it is that we are part of, Colin. The diversity of thought that you and I bring to this problem allows us to get to a better truth. And so for anyone out there who's doubting the importance of diversity in our family business, just this is another example how we were able to have this conversation today to get to this idea about who is a warrior and what does that mean and get to a better truth because we have diversity of thought. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Reed. I really appreciate you and the way that you approach these kinds of topics and at the same time being willing uh, to have the conversation, even though you, you know, at, at first you thought, why do we even need to talk about this? But you were self-aware enough that maybe there was something for you to learn, for me to learn from you. And it was a topic worth bringing to our audience and and inviting them here at this point to provide their feedback to us that because diversity of thought matters, we don't want to be the only ones talking about this. We want to make sure that those of you out there have the opportunity as well to respond and let us know what is your take on Air Force officers being warriors. Are we all just chair fighters, part of the chair force? Or are we actually warriors in the, the ways that we have described here? What's your take on it? We invite you to be part of this discussion by going to airforceofficerpodcast.com, joining us in the Heritage Room, and letting us know what you think there. Yeah, this is your service, right? We are a profession, and by definition, then, we set the rules. We get to define what this is. And if you are a part of this team, let's have this conversation. Let's talk about this. And we'll get to a better truth the more voices we hear from. Yeah. This is not a open and shut topic. So there will be further discussion on this, not only in the Heritage Room, but we will do more episodes on this in the future about how warrior ethos is trained and developed in the Air Force officer, how it's happening right now, or the ways that we think that it should happen in the future. And we think that it would be wonderful to have you all be part of that discussion. So again, join us in the Heritage Room. You can also reach out to us through the various social media platforms on Facebook or Instagram, Reddit, Twitter. We're, we are active and present in all of those locations, or you can send us an email, airforceofficerpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be happy to engage further with you in this discussion so that we can arrive at that more whole truth about what it means to be an officer and a warrior in the Air Force. Hey, thanks again to our audience. And that concludes this episode of Commission Ed.